Hello, welcome to my podcast. Revolution, the Chinese Culture Revolution, and the French Revolution. This is episode five Thunderbolts. If you will remember, I am still talking about the early stages of both revolutions. No more than a year had gone by since the revolutions began. It was already too late to reverse course and go back to anything resembling the past. The damage was done to both nations, their systems, their institutions, and their culture. And it was still not clear where it was all going to end. In this episode, I want to finish up the early phase of the revolutions. For both France and China, the violence continues. For both nations, the cultural changes were also reshaping their societies and their nations. In France, the National Assembly adopts the Declaration of the Rights of Man, The Women's March on Versailles would result in the king and the royal family permanently vacating Versailles. In China, the Red Guards start to cause problems not foreseen. Also, the second or the third iteration of these Red Guards, it's hard to keep count, appear. And the Chinese army gets involved. I want to start the episode with a quote by Maximilian Robespierre. Peoples do not judge in the same way as courts of law. They do not hand down sentences. They throw thunderbolts, unquote. As the National Assembly was abolishing the unseen regime, the nation was changing in unforeseen ways. French fashion began to change. Simple dress was now the preferred style. Modest wigs and hairstyles were also the style. Females stopped wearing hooped skirts and ornate hairstyles. Men abandoned powdered wigs. People even changed the way they addressed each other. No more sir or madam. Instead, citizen was the new address. I already talked about the tricolor, the red, blue, and white color array. Used as a cockade, a tight knot of tricolor ribbons, and wore on one's hat, lapel, tunic, or sleeve. It was intended to show loyalty to the revolution. Other iconic symbols from this time were the Liberty Tree and the Liberty Cap, or the Bonnet Rouge. The Great Fear, as July of 1789 would would become known, saw greater food shortages and violence. The Great Fear 
is associated with the peasant uprisings in the countryside. It was also a war against the feudal system. Rural peasants armed themselves and general attack began on all things identified as aristocratic. If the lords were at home at the time, the peasant mobs made the lords renounce their rights. If they refused, their property would be burned down. Debts were defaulted. Records of these debts were destroyed, if found. The National Assembly, hearing of the criminality, requested peace. But the more radical deputies believed the exhortations would not work and would be ignored. They believed more radical action by the Assembly was necessary. The rioting mobs needed an incentive. That soon came. Starting August 4, 1789, the Assembly, in a whirlwind session lasting a week, pushed out sweeping changes. Known as the August Decrees, they managed to at least quell temporarily the violence and fear that had gripped France in July. Let's talk about these. Most monumental was the promulgation of the document called Declaration of the Rights of Man and the Citizen. It was an important first step of crafting a new constitution. Like the U.S. Declaration of Independence, it comprised a statement of principles. The document was heavily influenced by the Enlightenment ideals and also from the Americans' version. While composing the document, Thomas Jefferson was consulted, still in France on his diplomatic mission. The Declaration laid out 17 points of which the National Assembly held to be the natural, inalienable, sacred rights of man. The rights included equality, liberty, property security, resistance to oppression, equal opportunity without regard of social status, protection from arrest unless you broke the law, presumption of innocence, freedom of expression, a police force beholden to the people, public agent, servant, accountability, and right of property. Oddly, not all persons were to be treated equally. Women and slaves were excluded, and only landowners could be members of the National Assembly. But the August Decrees produced more. Another document abolished feudalism and did away with privilege from the aristocrats and the clergy. The Chinese Cultural Revolution's official handbook was the Little Red Book. Everyone carried one. It was a pocket-sized collection of quotes that Chairman Mao offered as a living guide for the Red Guard. I have seen it stated that the Little Red Book was the most printed book on earth with over one billion copies in the 1960s. Bookstores throughout China would only sell one book, the Little Red Book, and it was a cherished wedding gift. There was indeed, in the early days of the Cultural Revolution, a cult of Mao. Many familiar things to the Chinese began to change. Men and women started to dress alike. Restaurants began to sell only simple dishes. Haircuts were the same. 
clothing, bedsheets, towels, linens, containers, or anything with a motif or design that might be labeled bourgeoisie were destroyed. Instead, products with revolutionary colors or designs or artwork were chosen. Flower shops were even attacked and destroyed. They were considered bourgeoisie and wasteful. Many shops were renamed to things such as Red Flag or East is Red. Official documents bearing the photos or signatures of disgraced leaders or officials all had to be edited or replaced. Lots of families changed their family names to something with a more pro-Mao meaning. There were stories of resistance to the destruction. One such story happened in the hometown of Confucius. The cemetery there was attacked by the Red Guard. The local residents, however, initially defended the assaults. But eventually more Red Guards came and even the resistance melted away and the tombs were desecrated. Corpses were dug up and hung from trees. This was the scene at many cemeteries throughout China. It is believed, or estimated, that at least half of the graves of foreigners were destroyed during the Cultural Revolution. Another feature, or horror, of the Cultural Revolution were the house searches, especially in the early stages of the Cultural Revolution. The Red Guards looked for luxury items, forbidden books, weapons, money. Some of these items were then stolen or confiscated or destroyed. There's even the story of my mother-in-law, how she had to destroy their family heirlooms. Everyone lived in fear. Neighbors informed on neighbors. Some of the biggest thieves were members of the Cultural Revolution Group. This all has shades of the Nazis trolling the streets of Europe doing the same. Sometimes large homes were seized, the occupants kicked out or made to share the home. The viciousness of the Red Guards sort of naturally leveled off by September of 1966, but Mao rekindled those flames by alleging that the CCP leaders in faraway places in China were undermining his efforts. Mao sent out his students to spread the revolution everywhere, and youth from everywhere flowed into Beijing to be indoctrinated in the Cultural Revolution and hoping to catch a glimpse of the great Chairman Mao. After the passage of the August 1789 decrees, there was hope that King Louis XVI would assent to or recognize the measures. But he refused. The National Assembly knew the declaration to avoid it being only a transitory measure had to be imbued with something more permanent. That would be a written constitution, like the English and the Americans had. That would be the Assembly's ultimate goal. One person that took advantage of the new right to freedom of expression was Jean-Paul Marai, a physician, writer, and scientist, a radical best known for his association with the San Culats, a slang name for the common people who wore full-length trousers instead of the breeches favored by the 
aristocracy. In September 1789, he started a newspaper called The Friend of the People. It was radical, controversial, and aggressively attacked some of the most powerful people, groups, and institutions in France. He often called for violence, and the people responded. Meanwhile, the National Assembly was trying to adopt a constitution. They got hung up on what form of government they wanted. The choices were a republic or a constitutional monarchy. Without getting too far into the weeds here, another major issue facing the assembly was the extent of the veto to be given the king. The assembly seemed to settle on a suspensive veto, meaning the king could only suspend the execution of a measure adopted by the National Assembly. He could not stop it altogether. But any authority proposed to be given to the king was not received well by the people, and the opposition was led by Marat and the San Culats. The king bending to public opposition, stated he would accept some, but not all of the measures from the August decrees. Under no circumstances would he accept the Declaration of the Rights of Man. In September 1789, the king requested foreign troops from around Belgium come to Versailles and provide security. There were reports of lavish dinners and parties at Versailles by the king for the royal guards. Those reports were against the backdrop of bread shortages and higher prices, and the people were offended. So an enormous throng of people descended on Versailles. Famously known as the Women's March, culminating on October 6th, of escorting the king and the royal family back to Paris. There are stories that some of the women got into the royal palace intending on murdering the queen. Lafayette arrived at Versailles with some 20,000 troops just in the nick of time to restore peace. Once back in Paris, the king and royal family were housed or imprisoned, depending on the perspective, in the Tuileries Palace. The people wanted the king in Paris as it would make him more accessible and accountable, and they wanted him to bring bread from Versailles. The king and the royal family would never return to Versailles. For a while, after the return, it seemed as if the revolution was over. The National Assembly followed the royal entourage to Paris. By November, the National Assembly held its meetings near the Tuileries. But it was also clear the king could no longer resist the changes and the reform. Over the fall of 1789 and the winter of 1790, the National Assembly assiduously worked on the Constitution. But until it was promulgated and adopted, the Assembly had a difficult time holding the country together. Tax revenues were flagging, some of it because of cheating, some of it just because of poor administration. In early 1790, the National Assembly abolished the church's ability to levy its tax on crops. She also confiscated church property. The church was the largest landowner, and the nation desperately needed the money.
In the first year of the Cultural Revolution, many student Red Guards thought the free travel around China was cool. A great opportunity to tour China for free. Mao ordered that every railway station had Red Guard reception areas where they could rest, borrow money, and eat. But those happy, cool days would quickly disappear. All of this student movement all over China put tremendous pressure on resources. Resentment grew from local people. They were expected to supply these reception areas with resources from their communities. Many of these communities could barely survive before the Red Guards came. Now they were expected to clothe, feed, and provide for these students. It was too much to expect. The free board and travel quickly ended, and by December of 1966, that phase was over. Another problem had been discovered during the students' movements in the fall, communicable diseases. The lack of hygiene, poor sanitation, and overcrowding the likely source. Compounding the problem were poor medical aid facilities, ill-equipped to handle the magnitude of the students and the diseases they brought. Meningitis was one of the more dangerous diseases that became prevalent. Medicines and medical supplies were at critical shortages. China had to rely on the West for assistance. It has been estimated that well over 100,000 people died in this early phase of the Cultural Revolution just from disease. And at this time, it marked one of the turning points of the Cultural Revolution. Red and black labels began to shift. Some of the Red Guards were now suspects. That created a new breed of student guards from, a, from less revolutionary families. Gray families now appeared. Students from gray families became rebel Red Guards, and they began to attack Red Guards. The main feature of this period of the Cultural Revolution was the violence against the CCP leaders. And the leaders were easy, obvious targets. Since the communist takeover of China in 1949, the CCP had failed to deliver on nearly every promise they made. And the country was still recovering from the damages caused by the Great Leap Forward. Many people felt betrayed. And the two most visible and blamed party leaders were Liu Shaoqi and Deng Xiaoping. At the close of 1966, Mao famously, amongst his cultural revolution group cadre, toasted the national civil war. In early 1967, Mao quietly ordered that the People Liberation Army, Chinese Army, to get involved with the cultural revolution and assist the groups. Before the PLA would do that, they sought concessions from Mao. Among these were the right to take any, mes- any necessary measures against anyone or any organization that the PLA deemed counter-revolutionary. At this stage, with China barreling out of control, Mao had no choice. He needed the PLA, PLA help. The decision to allow the PLA to take those measures, however, opened Pandora's box. Lin Biao was the man that ran the PLA. His stock was rising. 
Quickly, the PLA suppressed the violence and Mao ordered the schools and universities to resume classes, but only in a limited way. Also in early 1967, Madame Mao, or Jiang and Lin Biao initiated the January Storm. Using some 100,000 workers and Red Guards, attacked another rebel group in Shanghai, labeling them as rightists. The Cultural Revolution Group workers' guards crushed the rebels, causing huge casualties and deaths and removing from power the Shanghai city officials. But Mao did not want that. His plan was to combine the student guards and the PLA and put them under the command of the PLA. And he wanted the revolution to continue. Mao issued an order that the PLA was prohibited from firing on students. As a result, disbanded student guard groups revived and the students took to the streets again. Some of the rioting targeted the army. Mao also renews, renewed his attacks against Lu Shaoqi. The attacks on the army caused the rebels to split between those supporting the army and those opposed. The Cultural Revolution had again changed directions. Both sides were now claiming they were the true revolutionaries. By June of 1967, even the army was split. All that did was allow Mao to exploit the division. Confusion reigned. No surprise, by that time, the nation's infrastructure became unstable. The labor market was unreliable. Unloaded ships sat at docks. Trains went unrepaired. Public facilities dirty, uncleaned, and in wretched condition. The transport system became paralyzed. Unreliable train schedules. People brawled to board trains. Crime became a serious issue. So did vigilante justice. There was no law and order in many places. People were using the Cultural Revolution to right personal wrongs. The revolution's objective was clearly going nowhere. There was no unity among the rebels, the CCP, and in the military. In July 1967, in Wuhan, China, changed all of this. There, the rebels attacked the city's political leaders. The rebels were comprised of factory workers and student red guards. What was different was the scope of the conflict. It was a full-fledged civil war in Wuhan. Eventually, Beijing intervened and the remaining city leaders were removed from power. Mao had for a while toyed with the idea to arm the rebels. And in Wuhan, he decided to make that idea real. The impetus was now to seize military power instead of government power. It did not take long for military arsenals to be raided by the rebels. And now, hundreds of thousands of rebels and workers were armed throughout China. In the next episode, the National Assembly confiscates the church's property. It reorganizes the church. It reorganizes the country politically and culturally. In France, we also see the rise of political clubs. And within the National Assembly, factions began to appear. In China, the Red Guards break out in new violence, this time armed. 
The People Liberation Army has to step in to control the violence. The cult of Mao rises and he launches a new campaign. And that one will end the Red Guard. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>